What's up, guys? Thanks for coming to our Kaafa and Miss You podcast. Here, you will find resources to help you grow in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. So you can learn to love Jesus, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. And inviting any more, sadly, uh, the team came in and they took out our carpet, which that's, I guess, what you used to do in bathrooms. You used to carpet them, which makes sense. Like, it's comfortable. You want to sit on the floor sometimes. And it's warm and inviting. I think someone in the group chat was like, yeah, the splatter makes it warm and inviting. <laughs> it was Freddie? Freddie, you sick. Where is he? Oh, there you are. That is disgusting. Man, are you going to carpet your own bathroom? That's gross. Yeah, never mind. We're going to talk about AIM and whatever. It's pretty gross. It was like a really raunchy smell. I didn't like it at all, but um, like Charisma was saying, it is a big, what I think is one of the greatest things about missions teams coming and the missions teams we have going and things like SALT is I've known Miguel now for almost eight years. Because when I was a student, I went on a mission trip to UTSA, and he was in LTC uh, that week I went. And so we went to their LTC one Tuesday morning, and he was in there. And so like, I've known him for that long, and we've been friends, our closer friends now, for the last maybe four or five years. And then I have multi- a multitude of friends that I love and trust. And like one, another step from UTSA that I'd met eight years ago on their way to one of those U of A guys' weddings in Tucson, I was out of town, but he asked if him and his wife and his three kids could stay with me. And I was like, well, I'm not there, but I have a spare key and I can tell you how to get in. So they just stayed in my house. And that's what like in the kingdom of God, real community and real friends can do and want to do for each other and want to love and serve one another. And so, yeah, I have friends that I'll have for the rest of my life because um, I didn't just go on these trips, but I made friends and wanted to love people and wanted to meet other people that the Lord moved in their life and changed their life. And so if you're going on one, I would go with the intention of, I'm going to make friends that I'll have for the rest of my life, because you will. Um, And one friend that I ended up, I have a a few friends that I actually talk about quite a bit, at least to people in private, and one of them in particular is a man named Jordan Goody. Now, Jordan was my small group leader's small group leader. And I had only ever heard stories about him, and I would hear him on his West Virginia Chi Alpha podcast. But I desperately wanted to know him for myself because of the stories. So I worked it out so that we would talk once a month just so I could ask him questions, just so I could get anything that the Lord was speaking to him, just so I could hear and learn anything from him. And then over time, we ended up having a trip to the Middle East together, Then he flew me to Michigan for a book trip that he had with two of his closer friends, then me. And then we began to to talk more regularly. Now, during some of the most difficult situations in my life, some of the most hurtful circumstances, and the most pressing relational problems, Jordan has been there. And saying he was there is kind of a vague, it's such a vague statement that downplays what he meant to me during all of it. And so because of all of this, I talk about him so much. I trust him, and I can't help but tell stories about him. But one thing I realize for everyone hearing my stories ever is that it sounds great to hear and know about him just like I did, 
But it's a whole other thing to experience Him. To be on a road trip with Him for a week or to talk with Him for a few days in a row. And what I'm trying to say is that it's great and even inspirational to have knowledge of someone, but it's far greater to have an experiential knowledge of them. It was one thing to hear stories about Jordan, and it made me want to be his friend. It was a whole other to be his friend entirely. And this is the final and most pinnacle piece of this series on counterfeit conversion. This is the greatest part of genuine Christianity. This is what brings excitement. This is what gives endless purpose. This is what gives a mission in life so deep that passion for it cannot be exhausted. This is where unshakable joy and priceless peace spring out from. It's knowing God. Winky Prattney said, Many people want to be used by God, but so few want to be His friend. Jesus prayed before He was crucified and said, well, not like right before, but prior to it said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given Him the authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now there are three things a genuine Christian will have that we can glean from this. An experiential knowledge, a growing knowledge, and a heavenly knowledge. Let's pray and I'll explain. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, if you don't meet us, it's all for nothing. We want to hear from you. We want to encounter you. We want to be with you. We want to know you. We want to know your truth in Scripture. And we want to experience you in our lives. Lord, will you help any hard and skeptical hearts to be softened by your presence? Would your voice penetrate through any doubts? where all reason can be found to see that you are true and near and real. But would you penetrate through any doubts, any skepticism, any hardness of heart, any hurt, and help everyone here to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have another friend named Eli Gotro, who I did not put a picture of because he looks like a Greek god, in his, and he's 48 years old still. But the other day, we met up to hang out, and this year already, he's been out of the country twice, Since January 1st, he's been home something like only 10 nights in the last two and a half months. But before he came here to New Mexico the other day, he was in Denver. So I asked, what were you doing there? And get this, he said he flew to Denver for two days just to get two hours with a friend of his. And so I had to ask, what was so special about this friend that you would fly and spend all that money just to get two hours with him? He said this man's name is Dick Foth. He said he is what he calls the modern-day version of Peter Marshall. For those of you who don't know, Peter Marshall was the, set, uh, the chaplain to the United States Senate a long time ago. And so Dick Foth, he's now 81, was the chaplain to, chaplain to the United States Senate also. And he said this is the kind of man of God that makes you want to be kind and sweet and gentle when you're older and not grumpy and bitter and annoyed at everything. <laughs> and so he said... I asked, what makes two hours with him so worth it? And you have to realize, Eli is one of the greatest speakers I've ever heard. He has no problem articulating thoughts and truth and ideas. But he paused for a moment, would mutter a few things, but then stop. Would begin a few other thoughts and then stop again. And finally just stops. And ultimately, Eli said, he's just a guy you have to be with. 
to understand why it's so worth it. Meaning, I can hear about this man. I can even read one of his books. But there is nothing, like I said about Jordan, like actually experiencing him. And so it is the same with Christianity. Someone can hear about God and be moved. Someone can learn things about him and be influenced. But only if someone experiences him can someone be transformed. Experiencing him transforms your heart. It humbles your pride into the ground. It lifts up any low view you have of yourself. And when Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. That word in the Greek refers to an experiential knowledge of God, not just an academic one. He is saying that all that eternal life holds and has to offer is knowing and experiencing God. This is where kids, including myself, who grow up around or in church, don't usually get to. They hear a lot about God. They see other people and pastors who know a lot about God, but none of them are actually friends with Him. And you've heard this story once this semester already, but I have to tell it again. One day on this porch, there was a grandfather with his grandkids, and as they're sitting there, um, their dog just suddenly begins to chase this rabbit. And so he's getting after it, barking, running, and making a big commotion. Other dogs in the neighborhood start coming in on the action, running and barking also, but after five, ten minutes of this, some dogs would stop running and go back to their home. And eventually, after about 15 or 20 minutes, their dog, Blue, was the only one still running after this rabbit. So the grandkids looked at their grandpa and said, why, why did the other dog stop? Why, although he's so tired, is Blue still running after this, but none of the others are? And the grandpa said, all those other dogs saw something happening. They saw dogs running. They heard dogs barking. And so they joined in. But Blue was the only one who's still running because he's the only one who actually saw what he was chasing. He knows what he's chasing. The other dogs were running and barking because they saw Blue doing it. But Blue was the only one that actually saw the rabbit. And so the question is, have you seen God? Have you actually experienced Him? What exactly are you chasing? Or have you been content with chasing everyone else who knows God? This past weekend, I took the interns on a vision trip to Phoenix to see more campuses to pioneer Chi Alpha at. And one night, we decided to drink some energy drinks to stay up late and see how each one of us responds to too much caffeine. And someone I work with when I came back heard about this, to which she said, I would never do that, which I believed had no good reason for it other than maybe a whimsical preference. So I respond, well, why not? Well, because it's bad for you and it's too much caffeine. Well, what's bad about it? The chemicals in the caffeine. Well, I said, caffeine in itself is not that bad for you, and the chemicals in some are actually designed to be a pre-workout for you, so those are also not inherently bad. And then so she says, well, I'm not working out, and I probably have already had caffeine that day, so it probably is too much. And at which point I was out of practice in debate, so I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> but what I realized was that it's not that she isn't willing to do it. It's that she doesn't want to do it if I'm trying to prove that her reasoning is somehow objectively wrong. However, if I say, I really think this would be fun and really funny seeing how we all respond and act and get crazy together for memories, then she would be highly more likely to do it. And now this is the point. <clears throat> the richest relationships contain not only an experiential knowledge, but a growing knowledge. And so that was an example of, I believed at that point, I would say I knew this woman. 
I had experienced her as a friend, but after experiencing her more and more and living life with her daily, I now know and have a growing experiential knowledge of her. And so in the same verse, when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. In the Greek, the verb is what's called a present subjunctive verb. You don't need to know what that means. It just indicates that the knowledge is continuing forward. It is a growing knowledge. The true Christian doesn't just have one experience and live off of it forever. They have a growing experiential knowledge of God. And hear me rightly, I'm not saying you go straight for emotions and experience and abandon all reason because there is good reason for anyone who is humble enough to search it out. Most people don't want to search out the reasons for God, the logic for God, because they just want what they want, but they won't say that out loud. But I knew, by the way, my small group leader loved me when I was unlovable, that this God must love me even more. And then two years later, when I was support raising to become a missionary, I was about to make my first ever support phone call, and I was nervous as nervous could be. And so I went to my laundry room in my house at the time and just said, Lord, I don't know why I'm feeling so awful, why I'm feeling so afraid. I don't know how to not be nervous. Will you tell me anything to help? And he just, all he said was, I love you. And immediately, every implication of what that meant came to my mind, meaning it did not matter what anyone on that phone thought of me when I called them because he loved me. And it didn't matter whether they did or not. And instantly, my nervousness was gone. And then within this past year, I was watching my kids play and laugh and smile and just be silly. And I just thought, man, I love them so much. And then I just want them desperately to know God. And immediately the Lord said, you forget that that is how I look at you. Where do you think a love like that for them comes from? And I just started crying. And so over the last 10 years, in so many different ways, I have had a growing experiential knowledge of even just this one thing, that God still loves me. And He said it differently all three times, each time appropriate for the situation, each time adding richness and vibrance to the picture of Him I already had of His heart and character. Jesus is saying that to give eternal life to anyone is to give an experiential and growing knowledge of God. Now, how does that all actually tie in to the idea of eternal life? One thing I constantly wrestle through is whether or not I'm going to teach my kids baseball and softball. Every short-sighted instinct in me tells them to teach them the skills so that I know they're not just lost with me and everything my dad taught me. I know what it takes to work certain muscle groups that enhance fundamental skills specifically for certain things you need on the field. But I also know that pursuing a sport can so deeply consume you that it easily takes God's place. God's place, And the sad reality is that every past athlete is honestly a nobody now. So two to four decades of work, and it's over. You are left with the person you chose to be and the God you chose to worship, not the sport you chose to pursue. But sometimes, these kids, my kids will see someone playing baseball, and they'll say, Daddy, can you teach me to baseball? And being only three and five, they have no idea what that means in my mind when they ask that. For me, when they ask that, that means training them. That means a schedule for them. That means disciplining them. That means fundamentals and drills and incessantly hard work. 
But when they say, Daddy, teach me baseball, they may not know exactly what they're asking for. And this is how it is with Christianity today. People say, I want to go to a place called heaven, if there is such a place. If eternal life is real, I would want that. But many may not know what they are really asking for. But remember, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may also glorify you. Now hear this, you have given him authority over all flesh so that he can give eternal life to as many as you have given in him. And just for clarity's sake, he says, and this is this eternal life that I am giving. It is to know you, the one true God. So any rational person at some point in life will face the humble reality that you are not young and, uh, what's that word? Invincible. That you are not young and invincible and that you are not okay with an eternal darkness. The light's just going out and that's the end of everything after 90 years, hopefully. Everyone wants a nice forever life. And Jesus said he is here to give that. And then he clarifies what he means when he says eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know God, that they may know you. Eternal life meaning it doesn't begin with dying and going to heaven. This is eternal life, to know God. And that starts the moment He meets you and makes your heart new. The reality is that if you don't want to know God now, you will not want to know Him then. You don't just die and then magically start wanting something you've never wanted. Eternity will be an endless tracking down of the person and character and glories of God. And that is not something we look forward to one day. It's something that happens here and now. You realize that this is heaven, to know Him now, to hear His perfect perspective on the world and on myself, to have Him as my ultimate source of value, my ultimate driving purpose, my ultimate unfailing strength, seeing more of Him in everything that He shaped with His hands. That is heaven now, meaning heaven will only be an infinitely greater version of that later. So the question is, do you actually want God? Do you desire Him? And I don't mean a desire for ministry. I don't mean a desire for knowledge, a desire for books, a desire for friendships or missions. But do you desire Him? Do you just say, I want God? You and nothing else. So how can you assess Christians in the room if you really do desire God? In the third book of the Chronicles of Narnia, there are these five kids and a little mouse, I might be off with the number, that kind of somehow get in the ocean. They swim to this little island of sand that's surrounded by these waves that are forever turning over but not crashing, meaning if anyone tried to pass over them, it would throw them back. And so as they're on this little sandy beach island that's about the size of this room, Aslan meets them. And it's always the most glorious thing in the movies, no matter how poorly they're made, when Aslan comes onto the scene. And so he comes onto the scene. And uh, sorry, I almost made a Liam Neeson joke. Um, But uh, God's voice will be better than that. And his is really awesome. (laughs) Wow. Anthony's like, I hate Liam Neeson. And so Aslan walks up to these kids and this little mouse. And he asks them, he looks at the waves and he says, in the distance over this wall of waves is what's called my country. And he says, you could come with me to my country right now if you want to. And one by one, going down the line of these kids, 
Each one gives a reason why they just can't leave yet. They have things they need to do, people they need to take care of. And then he gets to this little mouse named Reepicheep, and he says, what about you? Do you want to come with me to my country? And Reepicheep says, sire, I have been through many battles. I have been on so many adventures. I have endured much loss. But even through it all, my desire to see your country has never diminished. It would be an honor to go with you to your country. And so then he gets on this little like coconut canoe and then just takes him up the wave and he starts paddling to Aslan's country. <laughs> Meaning, there was nothing he was leaving behind that in his eyes was worth staying for than leaving to Aslan's country. And so what about you? Alone one night in your room, Jesus comes to you and says, you can come with me to my country if you'd like. My guess is that many here would have reasons why you don't want to go yet. Life you have yet to live, people you have yet to meet, experiences you have yet to experience, none of which in and of themselves are bad in any way. People you want to love and take care of. The problem isn't that you love things and people. It's that our love for God is so little compared to it. You cannot love God more without knowing Him more. To you, eternal life is something you're probably waiting for, not something that you're experiencing here and now. Eternal life is not something to wait for in the future. It is someone to have an experience in the present. And so as I finish, my kids often refuse to not share toys with each other, and they refuse to let go of them. But when I come home from work, and I come in through the garage, and they hear the garage door close, they drop this toy and run to me like it never mattered. Why? Because to them, I am greater than all the toys they fight over. Meaning, they drop the toys because to them, something greater than those toys has walked into the room. If there are things that would keep you from going with Jesus to His country, it's because you just haven't realized that someone greater is in the room yet. If He is telling you to give something up, to leave a relationship or whatever, and you hesitate, it's probably because you stopped growing in your experience and knowledge of Him and have forgotten that someone greater than whatever you're trying to hold on to is in the room. It may sound extreme, but it's this kind of love for God that transforms a heart and changes the world. It was an extreme, by our standards, type of love that led Jesus to the cross when He didn't have to go and it didn't benefit Him, but only us. The benefit of the cross was all ours, while the cost was all His. And until, until you have a true estimation of yourself, and at the same time, a revelation of God's perfect goodness and intentions towards you, until you realize how unlovable you and I really are, and how at the same time, how deeply loved we are in spite of it, there are no words I can speak to show you all that Jesus is. But you can meet Him, and I'll invite Lydia up. And when he meets with you, you see that someone greater is in the room. It makes it easy to let go of anything. If you find it hard at the thought of giving up anything or anyone for him, if you were to ask, it's because you haven't seen him yet. Because when you see him, when you experience him, when you meet him, you realize someone greater than what you have is in the room. And tonight, I want you to have a time to seek after God. Now, what does that mean? What does that not mean? I am not going to force something to happen. 
I'm not going to try to conjure up some emotional experience because emotion without object, uh, subjective emotional experience without objective truth from Scripture does nobody any good, and that's not the same as meeting the real God. If you want to experience God, then you need to own it. And often, one of the biggest reasons people don't meet with God is they're afraid of what their friends think of them. And so if you want to meet with Him, if you want to experience Him, you have to own that and let go of what anyone around you may think. God Himself said, You will seek Me and you will find Me <clears throat> when you seek Me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It was three months, night after night, that I would go alone in prayer when, at my apartment when, when it was empty, and I would pray and pray until God helped me recognize when He was speaking. It was nine months in my car, in my room, at Kyalpha Nights, asking God to fill me with His Spirit until He did. If you want Him with all of your heart, you will have Him. That is His promise to keep. That is His honor to uphold. That is His word He has to, to walk in line with. And even tonight, the Holy Spirit can meet you and can free you from whatever it is, some desire for things you shouldn't want, some like being bound to habits and thoughts and attitudes you don't want, He can free us in a moment. And it still requires discipline after to stay in that freedom. For some, He will make you choose discipline to become free. For others, He can free you in a moment and then make you choose discipline to stay free. And when you pray, actually pray like you want Him with all your heart. Don't let Him go until He meets you. Too many people will say, I want God, and they'll come up here tonight, and they won't go to Him again. And at some point, I hope you come to this place where you're like, I must have Him. I can't live off of someone else's experience of Him. I can't just keep reading about people that know Him, that know Him, that know Him, and other people that saw God do something cool and something amazing. I want to meet Him. I want to hear His voice. I want to be His friend. And when you do, and you do not let Him go, you tell Him, you say, you said, if I seek you with all my heart, you promised that I would find you. And I will come back day after day until I get you. Because He has to do it. Because He is faithful. <clears throat> Some of you small group leaders want to do missions one day. <clears throat> but you may have never actually sought God until He's met you. You've been satisfied with living off the residue of, a, of some time He met you, of someone else's encounters with God, but that will not keep you when missions gets hard. That will not sustain you when people reject you and all you've done is pour out love for them. It will not sustain you when everything else falls apart. You need to actually meet with Him and have Him and know Him and hear Him. So if you want to meet with the Lord, then Lydia is going to play a few songs. And like I said, I'm not going to do anything weird and yell over you and try to make and conjure something up that's not the Lord. But you do need to be with Him. And you need to be honest with Him. And you need to seek Him as though you really want Him with all your heart. Does that make sense? Because when you really, really want something, you don't just go, I really want it. I really want it. I'm going to be quiet because I want it. 
Like, I want it. I want desperately right now, so, so badly for so many of you to encounter him, to meet him. Because then you don't actually need your small group leader. And I don't mean like you just get to go be a lone Rambo. You're going to die that way anyway. But you don't need someone else to survive. You don't need your resource leader. You don't need other people for you to be sustained. We get to be with one another. We should want to be with one another. But I don't need anyone if I have him. Now that doesn't mean you're just like, oh, praise God, I don't have to have friends. I hate people. <laughs> that is not the Lord's heart for community in his church. But when you really have him, you're free of needing so much stuff. And I want you to be like to leave this university really having met him. Because if you don't meet him and he doesn't transform your heart, whatever conforming you're doing here, you'll just conform to the next community you're a part of. You won't go to a church after college, and you'll conform to the friend group you have there. You'll go to a church, weird or not weird, and you'll conform to whatever they do if he doesn't actually transform you. Does it make sense? And I desperately want you to meet him. And I know he can. And the thing that gets me is that I can't control the way he meets people. I told him this two nights ago, last night, today. I'm like, this is the part that I don't like. Because I wish I could just make things happen. I wish I could say the magic words and the Lord would like meet you. But it's Him that has to do it. It's not something I give. It's not something you guys give to each other. And He will meet you. And like I said, some tonight, some, He's going to make you go to Him every night to show you want it with all your heart. And I've, some of you after two weeks will stop. Meaning it was with some of, with some of your heart you wanted it. That make sense? So I'll pray. And then you just have to be up here. You have to come up here and tell him what you want and not stop until he meets you. And listen, you hear nothing, you tell him again, Lord, you promise I will will not leave you until you come to me. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to experience this fullness that you talk about in Scripture, this fulfillment, this meeting you that means I need nothing else that I can lose all like Job and still have all I need. We want to hear from you. We want to experience you, and we want it to be in line with what you say in Scripture. We want it to be you we meet, not our ideas of you. Holy Spirit, I just want to keep talking, so you'll, but I, I know you're here. Will you speak? Will you speak? In Jesus' name. Amen.